Welcome to Coaching Kids Curling, a podcast for youth curling coaches and program organizers. I'm Glenn Gabriel, a certified curling coach who lives in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My mission is to give you the advice, resources, and inspiration you need to make your program better. Up in the Northwest Territories is a curling club with a thriving junior program. In this episode, I speak with Nick Saturnino, president of the Inuvik Curling Center, about his experience working with the juniors and having them take responsibility for coaching other kids. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, and thank you for having me, Glenn. Oh, I'm happy you're here today. I wanted to start with where I found you, which was on the Curling Canada website. Back in January, I was reading an article, and the title was Inuvik Kids Embrace Curling. And as I was reading through this story, I, I was just fascinated by the the different youth programs and, and different ideas that you had at your junior curling program uh, up at your club. So you were featured in that article, and, and, and thank you for, for joining me tonight. I'll, I mean, I'll admit, I, I don't know where Inuvik was, or I didn't know where Inuvik was, so I had to go and Google map it, as I usually do. But could you tell us a bit about the, the town of Inuvik? Uh, where is it? How many people live there? And, and, and what's it like living up there? Yes. Well, uh, the town is about 3,200 people. Uh, we're in the northwest part of the Northwest Territory, so we're up in the upper left. Uh, we're close to the Yukon. We're about a uh, 12-hour drive to Whitehorse, Yukon, and we're about an hour and a half drive to the Arctic Ocean. You can actually drive to the Arctic Ocean now. Um, you know, winters are uh, typical northern winters. Uh, you know, we get to minus 30 quite a bit. Uh, sometimes we'll dip as low as minus 40 in the wintertime, darkness for a few weeks in the month of December. Uh, it's, um, you know, late April now, sunlight uh, until midnight, uh, and the sun uh, starts, uh, the daylight starts coming around four, and in a couple more weeks, we'll have 24-hour uh, sunlight for about, um, I think it's probably about uh, 10 weeks or so. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a little different um, from the East Coast, so it definitely was uh, something to get used to, but I've been up here for 27 years and uh, used to it now. How did you end up in Inuvik? Uh, just work. Um, I graduated from university and um, about a year and a half later, I uh, got a job with um, a local retail outlet and I uh, got on with them and then uh, just eventually stayed and now working for the government of the Northwest Territories. Nick, you're the president of the Inuvik Curling Center. Could you tell us a little about the history of curling in, in your community? When did it start? When did people start curling in, in your town? Well, the town was formed in the late 1950s, around 1958 or 1959, it was formed. Um, and as far as I know, curling has uh, been here ever since. Uh, I believe it started in a little two-sheeter. So in a building just in the middle of town, it's still, the building is still there. You wouldn't know it was a curling club, though it does kind of look like one of those old curling clubs you'd see in rural Saskatchewan. Um, and then it moved up to a six-sheeter when they built the hockey rink, uh, curling rink. It was natural ice at the time, and that was until 1997. And then in 1997, they uh, they 
built the more modern complex we have now. We have artificial ice. We share the complex with the hockey rink. There's a community hall, a gym, a swimming pool, number of meeting rooms, and of course, a four-sheet curling center. Now, your club, how many members do you have? And, and speaking of juniors, which is the topic of today's conversation, how, how many of those members are juniors? Um, we have about, it's drops. So we had about 150 members, uh, adult members, about 10 years ago. And we're down to maybe 60 to 80 every year now, unfortunately. And we're, we're working on that. Uh, our juniors actually outnumber our adults most years. Uh, this year, the numbers are a little lower because of COVID, I believe. I'm hoping it's because of COVID. Uh, but our junior program can have up towards of 90, um, 90 kids. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but we had a f- previous phone conversation. Obviously, pe- clubs and, and centers across Canada are dealing with COVID. You were able to curl for most of the season up there. Is that correct? Yes, we were able to curl uh, all season. Uh, there was a few limitations in regards to games. So we have a Friday night fun league. Uh, which typically is our adult recreational curlers, and we can have four games going on for two, sometimes three draws if we're lucky. This year, uh, we only had we, we had about twelve teams registered, but about eight of them played regularly, and we could only have two games going on at the uh, at a time, so that the two games had to be separated by a sheet. Uh, and we were limited to twenty five people total in the club, so if you get sixteen people on the ice surface, uh, that's pretty much the max you could do anyway. So. Um, yeah, we were able to do that. Junior curling, um, uh, we had no issues there. Again, our half ice curling program, the numbers were down, so we never had issues with the maximums. Uh, we were planning on doing two draws for the half ice curling. The junior curling, it's kind of separated. Junior curling is a junior curling program and then the junior teams. So we have team curling uh, and they're separate. So we never really had an issue with the, uh, the maximum of uh, 25 people in the club uh, this year. So we were able to run... Um, curling throughout the season no issues at all wow yeah that's that that's a that was rare i i'm i mean i of course i live in toronto so or near toronto so for much of the season we were clubs were basically closed or open for a month (laughs) and then uh we're locked down so as we continue this conversation nick we understand that we don't know what's going to happen with COVID, but I, i want to return back to the article and talk about some of those programs i saw Maybe we can start with that half sheet program you were talking about. If I remember correctly, let me just find the name for it. I want to get it right. Smash Up Derby. Could you, could you tell us what that is? I call it Smash Up Derby. So it's, it's half ice curling. Okay. Uh, this program we started about 10 years ago. And my goal has been, uh, is, has been uh, to uh, incorporate programs for kids age or youth age five and up. Um, and so this actually started for half ice curling, started for ages five to 10. We then changed it uh, a couple of years after we began the five to nine. And then now we've changed it to five to eight year olds. We found the nine and 10 year olds didn't quite like it. They wanted to move on to other types of curling. Um, so we've got it down to ages five to eight. Uh, we can have up to 50 kids in that half ice program. And it's wow. really introductory um, in regards to just getting the kids on the ice and having fun. So it has evolved. Now it is a three-on-three curling. Uh, the kids each shoot two rocks, so six six rocks per team. Uh, they play three ends, maybe four if they go really quick, and we try to limit them on the ice to a maximum of 40 minutes. Games usually take 30 to 40 minutes to play, uh, and I call it smash-up derby because there's no, no using stabilizers, no using sliders. Uh, the, the middle 
sweep or the middle person will have a broom and the skip will be holding the broom uh, and the shooter will just, uh, slide out of the middle hacks um, with two, two hands on the rock and push the rock and sometimes they go down quite fast and the whole goal the kids just want to smash rocks out of the house so if there's a rock <laughs> in the house their goal is to get rid of it pretty much so is this run basically like a league where it's a certain day a certain time every week yeah so we typically hold, hold it sunday afternoons and we kind of set the time depending on when minor hockey the the youth program so that age category for minor hockey is not running at the same time we'll usually run it right after minor hockey or right before minor hockey for that age category uh, so that the kids are at the arena and it's pretty easy for them to just come out of the dressing rooms, walk down the hallway and walk into the curtain center. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a great idea. Uh, I know in the article, it sort of touched on the fact that if you had basketball at six and curling at six, you might not see any curling. Actually, yeah, let me, let me continue with the, the smash up, the, the, the half sheet curling. Uh, not only is there the league, but th- there are these one day events that you are these bond spiels that you hold. Is, is that correct as well? Yeah, so we we call it the Rockstar Festival. And so half ice curling only goes for eight weeks. It starts in mid-October when we get our ice in, and it runs until early December. And then we don't normally hold half ice curling after Christmas, but we started, uh, it would have been four years ago now, a Rockstar Festival. And it's basically the half ice curling. It's for ages five. It it was ages five to nine. We're going to drop the five to eight. Um, And... A lot of the kids that play in the half ice curling program participate. And then we have a lot of new curlers and new kids that age uh, play. And it's a one day event. It's just a fun event for them. It starts around noon. It ends around five. They play a lot of, uh, they play a lot of games. Um, we have them play off. So we, we pretty much get them to play off in the, their own age category. So ages five, six, seven, and eight. We determine a winner amongst each of the four categories. And we take those four categories. And we put them in the semifinals. The fives play the six-year-olds, the seven play the eight-year-olds, the winners play, and then they play for a six-foot trophy. And it's just a fun day. We have a, uh, sorry, we have a pizza party for them with cake and ice cream halfway through the afternoon. Uh, The kids win prizes. They actually win money for winning their games. So they each win $5. Each player wins $5 if they win their their game. So they come running off the ice and five dollars and sometimes the kids aren't honest about it i look to see at the parent uh, and just get a nod from the parent that it's good or not or if it's not good i'll have to uh deal with the situation but uh and we've had some kids come off the ice and say we won oh (laughs) gosh yeah so it's uh it's fun it's a fun day they all get t-shirts uh we just really try to make it a participation event Again, the kids have a blast, and then the whole goal, of course, the parents are given the information regarding the Half Ice Curling Program, which will start the following October. Of course, the, uh, the six-foot trophy is a big hit uh, for them. Twice the uh, five-year-olds have won the six-foot trophy, <laughs> which is quite surprising because some of the eight-year-olds have been in the program for three or four years in the Half Ice Program, and uh, but the five-year-olds tend to have... <laughs> Uh, they they just can come out of the hack consistently and just keep throwing the rocks into the house. And the, uh, the older kids just can't, can't kind of, they, they miss because they want to hit them, of course. Right. And they, they, they miss their smash up derbies. And the next thing you know, the five-year-olds have four or five rocks in the house that the kids can't take care of. So it's quite fun. Um, and it's one of the funnest events for me to, to run during the year. And the parents just love it because it's fairly short. It's five, five to six hours for the day. It's a Saturday afternoon. We do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. We try to incorporate the uh, the local communities. So there's uh, three, four local communities that have um, 
uh, kids there. So we try to get them in for the day if we can. And uh, the most we've had uh, is 75 kids for that event. And it's three-person curling. So, um, you know, 25 teams. It's cool. Wow. I love those type of events. And I can't remember if it was the Northwest Territories website or your club's website, but there were photos of that event and it looked great. Uh, yeah. If I was a kid, I'd join in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's on both of the, webs- uh, the websites, actually. Yeah. Excellent. Now, as kids age up or they're already, say, nine or older, how do they start curling in the club? Is there a particular league or a, a night or a day that they come in? Yeah, so we have the junior curling program, and it typically starts for the nine-year-olds, but we will take the eight-year-olds, uh, so the kids that are eight have maybe have been in the half-ice program for three years, five, six, and seven, and you can tell they're kind of getting bored with it and they want to move on. So we'll take the eight-year-olds in certain cases. Um, and then we have the junior, our junior league, or not league, but it's junior curling program. And we started, we used to, about 10 years ago, we, we tried for two years where we ran the junior uh, curling program four nights a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, and it worked really well because, as you mentioned earlier, kids, if they have a choice between curling and basketball, we're not going to see them on the curling night. So if the, you know, Tuesday night at six o'clock or Saturday afternoon at two o'clock is junior curling and they have another um, event going on, we're not going to see them. So the four nights a week allows them to come any night of the week they want. So we started that last year. Uh, so we, we, we went back to it. We stopped it because of a volunteers, lack of volunteers. We, we started going to the one or two nights a week. And of course the numbers dropped uh, drastically. So we went back to it uh, two years ago. And we run the junior curling program four nights a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And it's typically for eight years, nine years and up. And we usually get them to about 12 or 13. And then at that point, we want them to, we, we try to get them to form teams. And then team curling is a, is a whole different thing. So they, they start practicing with a coach and they're practicing at different times. Right. Uh, some kids do both. Uh, we had some kids this year doing both the junior curling program and team curling. So they were on the ice, um, you know, anywhere as a four or five, six times a week. Wow. Uh, some of the kids come every night for the junior curling program. So it's a run for about 14 weeks. It starts in October, ends in mid-February. And so there's about 50, 52 nights that they can come. And we had one young girl this year, a nine-year-old, attend 49 of the 52 practices. And the only three she missed was one week she was sick. I'm sorry, repeat that again? <laughs> Uh, she attended 49 to 52 practices. Oh my the God. Only, the three that she missed was all in one week. And everyone knew when she didn't show up, everyone was like, where's this young girl? <laughs> everyone knew that she, you know, she's there every night. Um, anyways, we ended up finding out that she was sick for a few days and her parents had to keep her, keep her away from the curling club for, uh, for those three days in order to, they were typically because of COVID, they weren't supposed to show up if they're sick. Right. So, um, and she couldn't attend that week. So she missed three of the four props. She came on Thursday night, I think. She missed oh. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday that week. Yeah. Who runs the junior program? Is it coaches, adult coaches? Is it older kids? Yeah. So it's our older juniors is starting to run it. So the whole, the whole, my whole plan is to uh, make this whole program sustainable. So the half ice curling program is run by my younger juniors. So maybe my 10, 11 year olds, they're out there and they're just kind of, it's, it's, you know, there's the young kids out there. There's obviously parents out on the ice with them. Um, but the younger cur- uh, curlers, not uh, sorry, but they're probably 10 and 11 year olds. So go out and help with the half ice curling. 
And then with the junior curling program, it's the more experienced juniors. So my 13, 14, 15 year olds, um, and they have to take uh, the curling club youth program or curling club uh, coaching program. Uh, so they have to take the coaching program. And the goal is to have them run the pro- have enough juniors run the program. So haven't got quite enough juniors just yet. Uh, this year, I was running the program one night a week with a, with a helper and another individual was running it one of the other nights. And then I had two of the nights where it was run actually by the two same juniors. Uh, but next year, I've got eight juniors lined up that can run it all four nights. Um, of course, there's adult supervision there. They're still, um, because of the age of the, uh, the curlers, they're 13, 14, and 15. Actually, they range from 13 to 17 years old running the program but there will be nights next year where we have maybe 14 year olds running the program but they're given a they're given the uh itinerary for the week uh every night is the same practice uh, outline for them and uh, so the kids will show up on monday night if they show up every night it's going to be pretty much the same thing they're learning they'll learn it differently of course because there's different instructors different ways of teaching it uh, but the goal is to um have juniors run the program going forward they're paid for their time so we pay the juniors, and that's the only way we can get them out there, I'm pretty certain, is to pay them. Uh, and even the, uh, the kids that run the half-ice program are paid a small honorarium at the end of the eight-week session. Uh, so we found that that really helps. Well, Nick, can I ask, how, how much are they paid, and uh, how much is the honorarium? Uh, so the half-ice curling, so the kids that run the half-ice curling get paid $100 each, uh, and that's an eight-week program. And um, the juniors that run the 14-week junior program get $500 for running one night a week each. And how many weeks would that be for the whole season? Yeah, 14 weeks approximately. It starts in October, runs to mid-February. Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks, Nick. I, I know it's hard to talk about money sometimes, but people are always interested in this about making it sustainable. And you got to talk about money. You know, it, it can't just it, you know, be a secret sometimes. So thanks for sharing. Well, the kids aren't going to do it, uh, you know, unfortunately, as much as they're, you know, I I probably could get some of the kids to do it because they just like to give back to the uh, the curling club and stuff, but uh, it's never going to work um, without having to pay the kids. And it just makes it easier. So, you know, because they, they learn from it when they're teaching the kids how to do whatever they're doing, the skills they're learning. Also, it's really, um, you know, uh, enforcing what they've learned in the junior curling program or what they've learned in their team curling program and just makes them better curlers and uh just you know it, it it's great they use it for uh references so i you know a lot of these kids that are 16 17 um you know email me and say oh can i use you as a reference for my job stuff like that so um it's worked out really well and again it's nice to pay them the kids like it it's not a crazy amount of money but um uh, definitely the kids appreciate it. And this year, fortunately for the two girls that ran the program, they ran two nights a week. So they got double that. Oh, wow. Well, they, Hey, if they're, if they're out there twice a week and they're doing a good job, then yeah, they did. They earned the money. Nick, I appreciate the fact that you're giving the kids more responsibility. And I think that's a theme I saw in the original article that the lead was almost that they could come in any time that there was free ice and practice. I, this might be more for the competitive teams, but maybe we can touch upon that. You know, if I'm a club owner or a club manager and I want to let my kids use the facility, I'd have some second thoughts about it. How did you get to that point? And, and, and how's it gone so far? I guess that's my, my question. 
it, it's gone fine. So I coached my daughter's team for eight years, uh, going back a while now. And in there, they were probably 13, 14, maybe 14, 15. I gave the four girls a key to the club and they would go and practice on their own or practice uh, with each other and stuff like that. So that worked out pretty good. Never had any issues. Uh, then another team that I coached up until a couple years ago, kind of the same thing. I would give, I gave them keys and they were, they went into the club and they would practice on their own again or with their teammates and stuff like that. And, and everything. I never had any issues. Now you got to remember the curling center is in the, the rec complex. Uh, so there are arena um, staff people walking around the complex. Uh, there's a camera inside for safety reasons and security reasons. There's a camera in the ice shed and there's a cam- couple cameras in the curling club lounge. So there are, you know, everything's being recorded at all times. Um, but the, the kids are, are aware of what's going on. And, you know, we have a chat at the beginning of the year and stuff like that. So this year, what happened was um, because of COVID, the school schedule is kind of funny this year. The, the kids get off school at 1130 in the morning and they have a 90 minute lunch break. And I'm not sure why that is because of COVID. <laughs> um, you know, the school day is still the same, eight, yeah, nine o'clock till four o'clock, but they have an extra half hour off. Uh, and their classes at the school is right next door to the curling rink, so they can just walk over here. So this year, um, one of the parents had suggested, is it possible for the kids to go to the curling rink at lunchtime? And I had done that with my daughter's team. They had gone to the uh, curling practice at lunch, and that didn't last very long, a couple of weeks. And they were like, yeah, this is no fun. We're not doing this. And actually, the other team I coached did the same thing, and it got the same result. It was a couple of weeks, and they were like, yeah, I'm not into this. So, so this year, I was like, for sure, but experience kind of shows me that it won't last very long. Well, I was wrong. So unfortunately, the ice is not done for them. So they have the, the ice is pretty crappy for them at lunchtime. So I just told them, you know, you can come at lunchtime uh, and practice and, you know, eat your lunch and practice. Uh, but the ice is in pretty crappy shape. So you're just working on your line of delivery or working on whatever. But don't worry about where the rock is going because it's not going to go very far unless you shove it down the curling rink. Well, that started uh, very, as soon as the rink opened in early October. And then by late October, I'm thinking, well, this is going on a little bit longer than I thought. And next thing I know, it's uh, Christmas time and they're, they're there every day. And there's a group of, there was a group of anywhere from six to 12 of them going every day at lunchtime and just going and, and uh, throwing rocks or practicing or doing uh, things like that. And then so at Christmas time, I had to start uh, getting the ice prep for them uh, at lunchtime to give them better um ice so they could start working on draw weight and, and making shots and stuff like that so we had to make arrangements to get the ice done in the mornings uh prior to them practicing and uh it went all year and the kids were actually asking at the end of march can we keep curling throughout the summer <laughs> <laughs> i was like no we're shutting it down here march 31st but um it actually worked out um i'm not sure what the schedule plan the plan is for the school schedule next year but i'm really hoping they have 90 minutes at lunchtime again uh, some of the kids were there five days a week at lunchtime. Plus, of course, they were going to their team practices. They were going to the rink in the evening. So some of those kids were on the ice a minimum of 10 times, maybe upwards of 12, 14 times a week uh, on the ice. So seeing huge progressions in some of those athletes. Wow. I, I mean, even in a regular curling season, you may never get kids doing that much you know, regular practice, for lack for sure. of a better word. So yeah, we did have, um, sorry, and you did ask about it, was there any issues? So we did have a couple of issues. I was, uh, and again, I was told. Uh, so the rink manager came to me one day and said, by the way, I had to stop in. One of the, one of your kids was riding the rocks. 
And I said, okay. I said, fine. So again, uh, one of the evenings, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday nights, all the kids were there was had to play a game. And so I just gathered them around. I said, Girl, or girls and boys, um, been told that somebody was riding rocks. And of course, the, the two kids fast up right away and told me what they were doing. And of course, we had a little discussion regarding safety and shouldn't be doing that. And then they had another small incident. I can't remember the specific details um, regarding it. But again, they, the kids fessed up. They, they can't lie. I, I just say, I'm going to go look at the cameras and go back. I kind of have a general idea of what time it happened. Um, and so the kids, the two kids fessed up again. It was two different kids this time. And, um, oh, a broom got broken, I think. <laughs> a broom got broken. So I was like, so how'd this broom get broken? Of course, there's silence. And, okay, I guess I'll just have to go look. Don't make me go look at those cameras. And of course, they fessed up and said, oh, well, maybe it broke this way and stuff like that. So hey, it worked out. So the kids, some of the kids uh, would go after school also. So they go at lunchtime and they would go after school uh, for an hour or so. Um, and then, of course, in the evening. So it was a uh, successful year from that standpoint, getting the kids. And they just, they enjoy it. They just like it. Yeah. No, I... I- I really admire the amount of trust and respect you have for these kids. Uh, I know it, it would be tough to try and convince a board or a club manager to allow them that access, but it's a, it's a relationship you've developed with these kids and uh, the faith and trust you put on them. It, it's not all the kids that have this access, is it? No. Um, so this year, I think the youngest would have been 12. They, they ranged 12 to 15 years old were the kids' ages that uh, had access. And they were all on the junior team program. So they were on teams and stuff like that. They would, you know, most of them were there with their teammates or one or two of their teammates. And again, it's just having that conversation with them at the beginning and saying, okay, we're going to allow you, but if you abuse it, then obviously it's not going to work out. So I, you know, I think the kids are self-policing themselves. Uh, in regards to, you know, after doing silly stuff like that. And uh, they know that I'll hear about it. Um, you know, they see the, again, they see the arena workers walking down the hallway because there's windows along the hallway, along the side of the sheets and stuff like that. And of course the cameras are there and, um, you know, they know they're, they're, they're on camera because there's always somebody in the arena office and the cameras are right there and the, you know, the screens are right there and stuff like that. So. Um, you know, they, they, they understand and plus they're serious about it. They, they want to get better and stuff like that and they enjoy it and they don't want to lose the privilege. I want to touch upon your competitive program, but before there was one other thing I wanted to cover before we got there, which was uh, a new experiment you tried this year. It was a one-on-one league. Could you tell us about that? Yeah. So I've always wanted to run a junior league, but we never had enough teams. The most we ever had for the last 10 years or so was uh, maybe two teams or maybe we were lucky. We had three teams at times, but you can never get all of the teams together at the same time. Uh, so this year, because of COVID, I was, um, it just kind of came to me. I said, maybe I can try a one-on-one uh, event. And uh, so just, you know, not all of the kids had to participate and we ended up doing a U15 and a U12 event. And we had 10, uh, 10 athletes in the U15, and we had five in the U12. So the U12 played a round robin and then the semifinal and final. And the um, U15 ended up playing a triple knockout with qualifiers. So there were six qualifiers. And they played and they played a one-on-one game every Saturday. Uh, the U15s was uh, four end games, and the U12s played a two-end game. 
And uh, it was very successful. The kids that didn't play, I think, regretted not signing up um, in the U15. There was a couple of kids that didn't play that I think uh, regretted not signing up for it. The curling was great. The kids just really improved. Um, it, it worked out perfectly. So next year, I'm going to run that program. And I'm also going to run a doubles afterwards. I'm going to run the, I ran the uh, one-on-one, started in December and finished it in early February this year. So I'm going to run the program a little earlier this year, and then right after it run a doubles um, event, similar event. It'll probably be a little shorter because won't have as many teams with the doubles event. Yeah, I found a local sponsor. The kids, uh, they were playing for money. Uh, The top five in each category um, got paid cash. They like cash, it seems. (laughs) Cash doesn't hurt. (laughs) Uh, Just uh, one question about the one-on-one. Uh, if it was four or two ends, did they just throw all eight rocks? Like a like all the rocks that were there? Was it six rocks? I, I'm just asking. I don't know how they did. They, they shot all eight rocks. Ah, okay, okay. So and it's great because they're they're shooting, they're calling the game, uh, they're sweeping. Um, you know, there's a coach or two out there if they want advice or anything like that. We were get, giving them advice, but for the most part, the coaches were out there just to make sure the rocks in uh, run into the other sheets. Um, that type of stuff. Uh, some of the kids would ask for advice and other ones wouldn't. It got pretty competitive at the end. Uh, obviously, a lot of these kids are friends. And after a few weeks, they started getting into it. Um, and when they started getting down the crunch time and trying to qualify for the playoffs and stuff like that, the U15s got really, really competitive. Um, we probably broke some rules in regards to COVID for the final day. Uh, there was a lot of people watching, a lot of the parents, a lot of the kids came down and I was kind of on the ice surface and kind of glimpsed in and thinking, you know, there's a lot of people in that lounge that shouldn't be that close together. So we probably broke a few COVID rules. And, but uh, it was a great day. A um, couple surprises. Um, the U15 winner was a little bit of a surprise for me. I didn't think that she would have won the event. I felt she would have done well. Um, I would have thought one of the boys would have won it. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great event. The kids loved it. And yeah, you're looking to uh, continue and expand it for next year. For so. sure. I think one-on-one is the way to go at this age category. You know, because you can't get all the teams sometimes to commit to a Saturday afternoon at two, um, that type of thing. Again, it's just coming down to the kids have other things to do, and I don't really want them to have to feel like they have to go. If they want to do it, they'll make the commitment. And if they don't, but they don't need a whole team, they can just play it. So they'll, you know, they'll be disappointed if their team can't make it. If they want to do it at two o'clock on a Saturday and their team can't make it, then they can't play. So the one-on-one, it's just, you know, it's them. They're, they decide if they want to do it. Let's talk about the competitive program or, or the competitive team program. Maybe last season was a bit of an anomaly because of COVID, COVID but did you have competitive teams last season? Yeah. So the teams, we have team curling and those are our competitive teams. So this year we had uh, three girls teams and one boys team. Uh, the girls team, the older girls, they have a couple of older girls. They actually went, they ended up winning the U18 championship. So they're going to get to go to Timmins. Oh, nice. Next February. Um, so they won that. Uh, that was a little bit of a surprise just because the team had played the, the Yeltenite team that they played. They played them a few weeks earlier in Yellowknife and lost the games. And the, that team has a couple of younger players on it but uh they they worked hard there uh, they had some training with uh, coaches out of manitoba so online training uh in regards to mental training i believe um and they came through and uh they actually went undefeated that weekend um which was uh a little bit of a surprise again but um 
uh, they have some good shooters on that team, and um, it'll be interesting to see how they do at the national level when they go. But uh, we've had a number of teams go to nationals um, over the last 12 years, so it's um, it's nothing new for us to have uh, kids going to the national events. Now, the way this is structured, I think you hinted at it before, where competitive teams form, they have their, they sorry, they have a coach as, assigned to them or someone that coaches yeah, that someone, particular team? Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of times I'm the coach. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the team that won the U18s, uh, one of the parents is the coach. It's a team that a couple of the girls I coached up until two years ago, and then um, I made a decision not to coach them any further. Uh, so one of the parents had to step up and, and get certified and, and do that. So that team, um, then I was coaching uh, a few of the teams. There, we're, we're bringing along some coaches and, and trying to develop more coaches. That's really our, that's really our um, uh, focus is trying to get more coaches. Right. Uh, we've had teams wanting to form in previous years going way back and just couldn't find committed coaches that were willing to coach for the season or, you know, they coached for a bit and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. So that's been probably the biggest struggle um, is just trying to find individuals that want to coach, get certified. Uh, they have to be competition coach certified to coach at the territorial level. Right. So um, now we have put in uh, at the territorial level, we put in a coaching consultant based on similar to what Curling Canada has done for the coaching consultants. So uh, coaching consultants based on experience can coach at the territorial level um, because we're, you know, I was worried that we're going to have these teams wanting to compete, but they won't be able to compete at the territorials because they don't have a certified coach. So um, we do have uh, a coaching consultant um, option for some of these teams that uh, will help out. But they can't go any further than that. They would need a certified coach to go at a national level if they were lucky enough to win the territorial event. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, the struggle to find certified coaches, I don't think is limited to any, <laughs> I think every, every area in this country's having that challenge. So if you have any answers, uh, I'll share them with anyone else. Uh, is, are there any things that you've done to try and attract more parents, well, curlers? No. No? no, it's tough. So one of the coaches this year is a former junior curling, that I, junior curler that I coached. Right. She went to a number of nationals. So she was the coaching consultant and she is doing her competitive coach. I think she just has to do her evaluation now. Okay. Uh, and everything she needs to do. So she's coaching one of the female teams. Um, and of course, the parents of that other team, both parents are certified. So um, the uh, one of the coaches coaches the team and the other parent is willing to coach other teams in, in uh, situations where we need a coach for a competition. Uh, so they'll step forward if required, but obviously that's not their intent to coach uh, one of those teams. So uh, just trying to find, and then we've got other people, we've got other teams forming. We've got younger kids forming teams um, or in the verge of forming teams. So the whole coaching thing is going to become an issue, but we do have some people lined up. Uh, so hopefully we can get them certified. Again, this year, you know, we didn't have any coaching clinics because of the uh, the COVID. Uh, so the, the young lady that took the coaching course, I actually did it online through BC, I believe. Mm. Um, and she just needs to do the, um, the evaluation. It's, it's one of the $64,000 questions of curling. Uh, how do you get more people involved in the coaching stream? So, but that's uh, part of the, uh, the junior curling program. So if we have these kids, we're paying these kids to do the junior curling program, hopefully down the line, they will want to start coaching competitive teams when they become young adults and come back to a new from university and such from come back when they complete their schooling. So that's kind of the long-term plan is uh, where we're headed. 
So that's mm. another reason why we have the juniors involved at the coaching level right there. They're doing the instructional part of curling right now. Uh, and that's really what it is, is they're given kind of an outline of what they're going to be teaching the kids. It's an eight-week program based on Curling Canada's uh, Learn to Curl for Adults. So we've just broken that down into eight weeks. And so the kids in the junior program will do that for eight weeks. And that's what the coaches are coaching them, uh, the instructors. And then for the final six weeks of the program is a combination of both um, the instructional and then they play games. So they'll play a two-end game during the practice. And that's to prepare them for the rock, uh, the rock star, uh, the, the rock, the rings event that we hold in Yellowknife and we send all of our curlers to. So it's kind of how it's working out. So hopefully some of those junior curlers will come back. And I think some of them are interested in, they enjoy curling and they are coaching. And um, a couple of them are coaching at the rock, the rings event. Uh, I've had a couple of the girls coach the last few years. Uh, so the 16 and 17 year olds. And again, it's just, um, they, they coach the U12 event. So it's worked out pretty good. Um, Nick, could you give a little more information about Rock the Rings? That's that's an important uh, regional competition for your U12s and U15s. Yeah, so that's a uh, the Curling Association started an event two years ago. So 2020, February of 2020 was the first event. It was U12 and U15. We ended up having 13 teams. Um, we had 16s from uh, Inuvik go down. We had 16s from Yellowknife and one team from Hay River. This year, we included a U-20 category because of the cancellation of the U-21s at the national level. Uh, so again, we had um, 15 teams. So we had uh, we sent down eight teams from Inuvik. Um, there were six teams from Yellowknife again and one team from Hay River. And uh, there was three categories, U-12, U-15, and U-21. And it's really, for, for me, it's, uh, that's the event that the kids are told. Uh, come to curling, you know, weekly, participate in the junior curling program, uh, and you get to go to Yellowknife, and we'll try everything we can to get the kids down there. It's a $40,000 trip the last two years to send the kids to Yellowknife. So there's a lot of fundraising going on for that, but the kids, uh, a lot of the kids just want to travel out of out of Inuvik, and they get to go to Yellowknife for in a weekend and compete. And we've been very fairly successful this year, there was nine uh, placings, so you know, top three in each of the categories, and Inuvik took six of the nine, so we were quite happy for that. So the kids do well down there, and um, you know the kids are already thinking about next year. The kids that finish in the top three either win a uh, jacket from Runback, or they, if they finish second and third, they get T-shirts from Runback, so they get to design their own jackets, so it's a great little... Um, the kids now, you know, the goal is hopefully they're going to want to win the jackets and stuff like that. And I know some of the kids here in Newark are like, I'm going to win a jacket in U12 next year. So a couple nice. of the kids have gone down for both years. So, and again, it's just a build curling. Um, you know, it's working well for us here in Inuvik. Um, Not so much yet in Hay River or Fort Smith, the other two uh, smaller clubs about the same size of Inuvik. Um, but we're curling associations working hard to get them to get the programming so they can start sending kids and the goal is hopefully someday we might have uh, 40, 50, or 60 teams participating in that event. And it's kind of uh, following volleyball, soccer, basketball, the school events. Uh, all of the schools in the territory get to go to Yellowknife um, once a year. And those are huge, huge events for those sports. And that's kind of what we're copying is we're trying to make curling one of those huge events where the kids want to go down for that event and um, that's kind of what the premise is that we're trying to do. So it's been uh, it's been successful so far, um, but not as big as we want it to be. So hopefully we can get it to where we want to be. Well, Nick, there are specific challenges for for where you are. Obviously, uh, the travel expenses, and and as you mentioned, you said it was forty thousand dollars to get 
uh, have the kids travel to Yellowknife? Yeah. So there was uh, between the kids and the coaches, uh, coaches, chaperones, we had 32 people travel this year and between air, air flights and hotel. And we, we paid for all of the food for the kids. It was a $40,000 tab this year. And it was close to that last year. We didn't, I think we took 30 people last year and we took 32 this year. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, a huge expense. All of the junior teams, if they want to uh, travel or compete competitively, it's huge tasks. When my daughter's team was curling competitively, uh, our budget for the year was normally $50,000 uh, for their girls to go out two or three times a year or just to travel to the territorial events. It's quite expensive just to travel to Yellowknife, let alone Edmonton or anywhere else they need to go. It's all air travel, right? Yeah, it's expensive for air travel, yes. yes. Yeah. Maybe I'll end off by asking about, I mean, it's not, maybe in your case, it's a little more pronounced, but fundraising for any junior program is always an issue if they want to sort of take their program to the next level. Having money around always helps. (laughs) So can you give me some examples of what your club or uh, what other clubs in, in the Northwest Territories are doing to raise money? Uh, well, our club, uh, for this junior program in particular, in, so our whole goal now is to get our juniors. They register for a junior program, and then the goal is to take the ages nine and up to the Rock the Rings event in Yellowknife. So that's the goal. So in order to do that, we started a mega raffle. So two years ago, it was a $50,000 raffle. And this year, we dropped it down to a $30,000 raffle, um, again, partly because of COVID. And just trying different things to try to maximize the the revenue and the profit we make from it. So that helps pay for the trip. Uh, we're fortunate to get um, bingos uh, on occasion, one or two bingos that helps also. Uh, so we do that. Um, the teams, uh, there's a number of ways they can fundraise. Um, you know, the team that I'm coaching now has done a number of things. So they for you know the special holidays, Mother's Day, Easter, Father's Day, Christmas, Thanksgiving, they they do draws where they usually profit about uh, a couple thousand dollars each of those draws. So that's how they're fundraising. Uh, there's other ways they can fundraise also. So the parents are pretty creative. Uh, some of the other teams do, um, you know, they, they might run a bar, for example, for one of the dances or one of the events that goes on at the community hall. Um, uh, so there's lots of different things that they do. Various types of uh, raffles and stuff like that also help out. It's interesting. It's, it's expensive to fly from Inuvik. So, uh, it's, you know, anywhere from $800 to $1,300 for a ticket to Yellowknife and anywhere from 1000 to 1500 to get to Edmonton. So per person. So it's expensive. Wow. It adds up quickly. I'm, I'm assuming. So thanks, Nick. Well, before I let you go, I, I, I guess I want to ask you just a general question. I, I was attracted to this article, the web on the Curling Canada website, generally, just because I feel like it's so easy, even I'll, I'll admit to it myself, it's easy to sort of stay in your own lane and stay with what works in your club, whether that program you've been running for whatever, five, 10 years has been the same kind of program. And, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sometimes applies. So I was really impressed by the different kinds of things you're trying up at your club. So for you know, the listeners who are coaches and program organizers like myself, what would you say to people like us who are thinking about trying new things and, you know, just need that extra nudge to do it? 
what were your successes or what would you say to someone like me to try and get me to go ahead with these things? Well, I mean, I just think you need different, you can't have the same thing for all of the kids. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on the uh, learn, the forget the name of it. Is that, you're talking about the long-term athlete development, that yes. sort of age and stage stuff? Yes, yes. Sorry, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah. So every kid is different. Uh, you know, the ages are different. So you need different things for them. So for me, it's the five to eight-year-olds and you have to tweak them as you go along. So there's lots of lessons learned along the way. You know, originally the half ice curling was five to 10 and the feedback was, well, the 10-year-old's not crazy about going out there and playing with the five-year-olds. So you have to tweak it along the way, uh, but you need to have those different things for the kids to come in. And, and the main thing is just introducing them to the sport. Um, you know, we, we started the Rock the Rings, uh, Rocks and Rings program two years ago. And unfortunately, there's because of COVID, we couldn't continue it, but we've got the school on board and that's a plan. That's, um, uh, the plan is to run that every year at the beginning of the school year. And of course, out of that comes Curling 101, which is to get the kids from the gym into the curling rink for an hour and the parents uh, to try curling. Uh, so you just need to try different things. Um, you know, you have to really think outside the box. I think the key is you got to pay your volunteers and you can't run it without volunteers. So that's another part of it. So try to find a way to pay them. So we've been fortunate that we've been able to get some sponsors uh, to help out with, uh, you know, help out with the club. And it helps offset a lot of the costs of paying the, uh, in this, in this situation, the juniors for their time. Um, the curling association is, is entering into a three-year agreement with the power corporation to help with grassroots curling. So that's helping out our club from that perspective and helping out the other clubs. Uh, so we've been fortunate there, um, but you just got to try different things and uh, don't be afraid to try different ideas. I've been fortunate to travel across the country with the junior curling teams that I've coached and talked to a lot of coaches and, and saw things. So the, the whole, um, the rock, the Rockstar festival actually came about is in Fredericton, New Brunswick. They, they have their uh, kids in April. They, they do the Willie O'Ree arena. They put arena ice in, and then they have a, a festival for their little rockers. Right. And that's where that idea came from. Um, was well that's pretty cool i looked into it a bit more and found out some information and said well we could do something like that i would love to run something in a hockey rink uh, i've looked at it but it's not uh, feasible just yet um but definitely something in the back of my mind so just trying different things uh and trying to get kids to try the sport as if they and they need to have the choice um you know they they, they might want to curl but if it's conflicting with another sport unfortunately we might not get them for curling and we don't want those kids to have to make a choice. So if there is an opportunity for them, that's why we run the junior program four nights a week. As I said, one kid might one kid might come one night a week. If Thursday night's a good night for her or him, then she'll come. And um, you know, some kids just come every night, so they'll come forty nine out of fifty two nights. And that's uh, that's not out of the normal. We had the same similar situation last year where we had a few kids come quite often. They don't, they're not quite at 100%, but they're in the 90% um, participation range. Well, thank you, Nick. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Sure. They can uh, send me an email to curlinginuvik at gmail.com. Um, so that email will come to me, uh, me uh, as one of, one of the people that receives those emails. And um, just ask any questions, more than willing to meet with people and Give them the idea. I've been uh, meeting with, uh, I've met with a lot of the NBT curling clubs, their junior curling programmers, to try to get them to uh, do somewhat of similar things that we do here in Inuvik so that they can build their their junior programs up. And uh, as I said, hopefully the goal is to um, increase youth curling throughout the territory, not only just in Inuvik.
Well, well, Nick, thank you for uh, uh, sharing those stories about your club, uh, the junior program, and uh, curling, curling in the far north. I think you're the first interview I've done <laughs> north of the Arctic Circle. Am, yeah. am I correct in saying that? Yes, yes. We are north of the Arctic Circle. <laughs> See, I, I did look at Google Maps. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Nick, and uh, good luck. Yeah, thank you. So that was my interview with Nick. If you're a supporter of this podcast, I encourage you to follow our Twitter account, which is the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. One more time, the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. I'll also have that Twitter handle listed in today's show notes. This has been the Coaching Kids Curling Podcast. To reach me, Coach Glenn, please email coachingkidscurling at gmail.com. To follow the podcast for free, visit our website, coachingkidscurling.com. You can also find show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode and in previous episodes. The intro and outro music is Golden Sunrise by Josh Woodward. Thanks for listening. Good luck and good curling.